Hey there, Jets fans. Welcome back to episode 7 of the Jet-Centric Podcast. My name is AJ, one of your hosts. We took a little break there for the summer as there wasn't much going on. I guess the World Junior Summer Showcase. But it was also difficult to get some people together to do some recording. But I think we're good now. I think we could record every 7 to 10 days going forward right into training camp and into the season. So we got some great stuff coming up, as you can see if you look at our Twitter feed. So that's good. So hopefully you check it out and tell others about us too. Um, before I go any further, though, obviously I want to send condolences out to Roddy and his family. Many of you know who Roddy is. He was involved with this podcast uh, when it was the AIH Superfans and obviously going forward as well. Um, he's also head out, headed up the Jet Center uh, blog, which you should check out. He's done a great job over there. Uh, but he lost his stepson two weeks ago in a tragic incident. So obviously our thoughts and prayers go uh, to him. I was able to attend the funeral with some friends, saw some Twitter people, and obviously an outpouring of support online too. He did a great job giving a speech. It was very riveting, and I know that him and his family are very committed to trying to make sure the stuff that happened with them doesn't happen to, to other families as well. So obviously we're, we're with you, Roddy, and uh, support you and uh, look forward to you coming back, but also um, I know a new refined focus on helping other people that are going through some similar stuff. So that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. So moving along to the episode at hand, we got three interviews for you. The first one is myself with uh, Pete Tessier of HockeyBuzz.com. Appropriately, he did have literal jets flying over his place as we did the interview, so you might hear that in the background. Uh, we talked for 20 plus minutes, and Pete did summarize nicely at the end where you could find his work, which is great because, as usual, I had technical difficulties, and uh, the first two, two and a half minutes of preamble and introduction were cut off. So if it sounds like we just jumped into it, we didn't. You missed a little bit, but really didn't miss too much. So hopefully you enjoy that bit. I really enjoyed talking to Pete for the first time, and we'll definitely have him on again in the future. So uh, the second part is uh, Chris Mackling interviewing Garrett Holt. They do have a similar voice, but they are different people. Uh, Garrett breaks down some advanced stats and uh, gives us all some food for thought of uh, understanding and reading the game a little bit better. Always enjoy listening to him and learning from his stuff. I was hoping that he would actually talk about why and how he's a Jets fan. But uh, again, we'll have him on in the future, and uh, he'll have to tell us the story at that time. Uh, lastly, being recorded literally right now as I record this is uh, Alan recording with Art Middleton of Jets Nation. I'm looking forward to listening to that and uh, probably meeting Art actually at the end of the month in Edmonton. But uh, Alan is a great producer and great at asking a lot of questions, so I'm sure it'll be a great thing and well done. I look forward to listening to it, and I hope you all enjoy it too once it's on here. Okay, that's it. Let's get to the episode. <laughs> We're about a month away from serious training camp uh, um, talk. Are you planning on attending some training camp? And while you're there, if, if at all, um, are you expecting to see anything really different? Some, some new faces, some players? Or do you think the Jets are done kind of their signing? We probably see kind of a combination of the players we're, we're expecting already. I think I think we're going to see a lot of the the a lot of the guys on the moose given extra time to come up and, and play in training camp. I think guys like Spachuk, Appleton, um, who's the other kid? Is it Green? I'm yeah. thinking of Luke, maybe Luke Green on defense. Uh, yeah, Luke Green. Yeah, you know we'll see them. I do expect uh, to see the Jets maybe bring in a goalie on a PTO. Um, I don't think they're done with that, and I think they'll bring in someone. Um, to sort of supplement uh, what's happening much like they um, a few years ago where they traded for Budai and had him down on the moose for a little bit as well. And um, 
And I think that I just don't think the goalie situation is totally resolved yet from a, a long-term thinking. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. It seems like there, there's probably still some, some moves, moves to be done seeing we lost, uh, what was it, Hutchinson, uh, Jamie Phillips, and who was the other one that I'm thinking of? Amazing. Mason. Yeah, all, all in the last couple of months. So, yeah, that uh, kind of decimated the depth there a little bit. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, is there some players from the Moose that you think have a legitimate shot of making it with the big club? Like uh, a lot of people like Brendan Lemieux. I know some people have chatted about Logan Stanley getting a long, longer look too. But do you think any of those guys actually have a chance or is a top 13? I don't think Logan Stanley's going to make it. Um, I think he'll get a long look. They'll give him opportunities. They're going to see him in preseason, see how he how he shapes up, and such. And I think I can hear another jet coming. Yeah, here we go. Um, should, I should walk inside where my family is and making trying to trying not to have so much noise going. Yeah. So I, I think the one that everyone is going to want to look at and think about is Sammy Niku. This is he is the sixty-four thousand dollar question. That if he makes an impact at training camp, will he get on the opening day roster, and will he be part of that uh, a key feature on that left side? Because right now we've got Morrissey when he signs a new deal, um, which I, I think we should be hearing soon. We've got Joe Morrow, and we've got Ben Sherratt, and that's basically it. That left side is pretty oh, there's, thin. There's Kulikov so, as well, but uh, and there's Kulikov as well, but it's up in the air whether he's going to be paying. Yeah, yeah there's uh, there's injury so, concerns there for sure, right? Yeah, there's injury concerns, and and you know, and you know, well, I thought he played reasonably well for what he is last season. I don't think he blew anyone away, and you know, there's room for improvement. So that's certainly going to be a case where. Um, you know, it's going to be something to watch because the Jeff's left side is going to be not what it was last year, probably. And that could be a cause for concern. But if Niku continues on his trajectory, I think fans and management could be very pleasantly surprised. And, and if he does crack the lineup, do you see him maybe playing alongside Buff? Or do you think he ends up being on the third pair with Myers? Probably? What do you, how do you see that playing out? If he I know I, I, this, this is an interesting one because he's an offensive talent. So do you put him with another offensive talent like Bufflin? Do you put him with Myers, who, well, I don't even know what Myers thinks his talent is. Sometimes he thinks he's, you know, Bobby Orr. Other times he thinks he's Paul Coffey. And he's neither He's neither of those guys in any way, shape, or form. But he sure likes to try and skate like them. Um, you know, it'd be, it'd be really interesting. But I would imagine just for size and the fact that, you know, Myers is bigger and, you know, size matters to Paul Maurice. They, they, we could see him with, with, um, with Myers probably, but, you know, a Kulikov buff combo doesn't totally enthrall me either, but, you know, these are things that are going to have to be worked out. Right. And with uh, back to the Kulikov thing, um, just the rumors of injuries, uh, seeing that you, you mentioned that hockey bus is known for rumors. Uh, is there anything floating around about Kulikov and his condition and what he, might be able to come back and do is, is he a long term till he's healed or, or what's going on there? It's been pretty quiet, he, I feel. It's been really quiet. I believe, you know, in fact, it's been so quiet that I don't even recall what's going on with him. I believe he has surgery. I just don't believe what I don't know what the recovery time is. So, on, on a rumor front, as far as I know, um, it's basically just, uh, 
business as usual and that he's expected to be at camp. I just don't know what shape he's going to be in or if, if that's even accurate. It's just been so quiet on that front. Yeah, which which isn't that really unusual, I guess, for that uh, management group, right? They tend to keep their cards. No, not at all. Chest, so. Um, so talking about the lineups coming out, if we kind of have some some decent idea of what the forward lines are going to be and the likelihood of a, a moose player or someone else coming into the lineup and make it. Uh, what does your lineup uh, look like? Uh, specifically, I think one of the more interesting talking points are in your perfect world, do you split up Shifley and Wheeler? And in your perfect world, do you also, what, what do you do with line A and Ehlers? Are they on the same line for you? Because um, the emergence of Roslevic, I guess some people feel like maybe he can make that line A Ehlers thing work a little bit better without the Stasny piece there. And uh, seeing that Brian Little step back. So I'm just curious, is, is that how you see it? Are you a Roslevic between uh, uh, 27, 28, 29 guy? Or uh, are you split them I, up? What's going on there? I'd rather see, I'd rather, I'd like to see a, a line A Shifley Wheeler and a Connor Roslevic Ehlers. Because I think, and, and Connor, Connor is a left side guy. Um, line has been used all over. He's a right shot, but he's played on the left side. He, they set him up on the power play on the left side for, for the offside shot. And one of the things that people sort of forget about with Ehlers is Ehlers, even though he's a left shot, he played right wing all through junior and he had a lot of success that way. So playing on the right side is not formed to him. And I think that puts Brian Little back down and you're going to be dealing with with who do you put with a little, and, and that's that's the big question here. Is he's now in the, into a six year deal, his last big deal of his career, and at a fairly significant cap it, but not not totally detrimental. But he's got to produce at this rate and be a little more than what he was last season. So who sits in beside little? I mean, we've got you know your fourth line is probably going to be the 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 cop Lowry. And um, who's the other one? I'm drawing a Tanev blank. Tanev. Tanev. Yeah, Tanev or Dano. So now you've got Dano, you've got Patan, who's on a two way deal. And who's who's going to, and Perot. So you have Pro, Little, and who else? And, Patan, and that could be yeah. interesting. Patan. And, you know, if you wonder too, would, you know, depending on how Paul Maurice looks at things, he's only got so many centers. So, he, if he wanted to put Roslovich back to right wing, he'd probably want to do it with more with Patan and Little, or sorry, with a Perot and Little. Then that opens up a, a hole on on center. So who goes into center there? I don't think it's going to be Patan, Patan or Dano, given the fact that uh, Maurice doesn't seem to trust them or see see that they're ready. So I think you know we we're all going to play roster shuffle as it gets in but i think logic based on i think this is one thing everyone has to remember is how does more look at things what does he believe in what are his trends what are his what are his sort of what's in his dna and we'll see that he goes back to probably a fairly traditional thing and i think in all honesty he probably will give ryan little the second line center job to lose if he does unless something you know and and something will have to come along to blow blow him away uh, to change that, and that could happen. Jack Rosselich certainly has that 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 talent, and and sort of that's in his wheelhouse, and that's that's something I could see happening if he gets a shot at center. Yeah, I, I agree. I like your perspective there of thinking about Maurice, what Maurice is going to do, because often when I see people posting their ideal lineups, I'm wondering if they're posting them with through what they wish 
Paul Maurice's eyes were or what they think he's going to do. And they try and optimize it within that range of what they think is possible within Maurice's, yeah. you know, uh, ideas. So, um, uh, Rosovic, now you mentioned him, we both did. Um, what, what do you think is going to happen with him? Do you think he's going to shine? Like what uh, he's projecting to be a pretty, pretty awesome start player there. But do you think that he's coming out of training camp, probably having that second line? Like, uh, or how far does he have to blow little out of the water to, to, to grab that? I think he's, he's got to blow him out by being, um, much better down low behind the net and in the corners. I think that's where little, um, well, not his best strength of his game. He's a lot better than Rosovic down there, and that's where that's where Jack's got to kind of you know step up and, and and build his game a little bit. He's got to be a little bit more of a passer um, and, and sort of find that aspect to his game. You know, Maurice praised him this past season a lot of times for his defensive reads through the neutral zone and his ability to get back on the puck because the guy does skate like the wind. But, you know, there's other aspects of his game that have got to catch up to to those things too, and that's one of them. If if he works on that and starts, you know, planning his game around those areas of how he's got to be a puck distributor, particularly if he's going to play center and, and be a part of that, then – then he's got a chance of doing that. But again, you know, Maurice, he sticks to his guns. He sticks to what he's comfortable with, what he knows. So I think a lot, a lot has to happen to upset Brian a little from that spot. And I think the organization is fairly um, loyal, particularly to, to the players who have gotten them where they are. And Brian Little certainly is one of those guys. So, you know, that's just the way the Jets behave. And until we have evidence that they're going to behave differently, I, I don't see too much of a change other than Roslovic has to come in with some new facets to, or improve facets to his game that's going to make him a little a little more give him a little more consideration in Maurice's eyes. Well um just talking about Brian Little there um next year uh is potentially like not this this season coming up but the following season there is a strong chance that there could be a lockout shortened season uh because of when the NHLPA can um, uh, extend the CBA to another, you know, two, one or two years, I believe to, to 10 years. So if this season is blocked out uh, last time, there was some provision for buyouts that are sort of penalty free against the, the cap. Uh, do you think that Brian little with his regression and his um, contract that isn't nearly as favorable as maybe it will, <laughs> it'll be less favorable in two years. Do you think uh, he might be, uh, a bio candidate is that uh, or do you think that they try and move him by that time I know this is kind of looking ahead a little bit but it kind of leads into uh, next question I was going to ask you about salaries so do you, do you think that's something that could could be on the horizon um, I think anything could be on the horizon once the lockout comes and what's what what happens I mean here we are we're talking about it like it's a sure thing and I think everyone just assumes it's going to because, you know, it's happened the last two times and why wouldn't it happen a third given the status of the league and, and everything. So would they buy out Brian Little? It really depends. It depends on what the buyout looks like. Does that get changed in the new CBA? Does the buyout become less? Like, you know, it all depends on what the cost is. And is it a freebie? Does there no account? Does there no hit against the cap? Without looking at cap friendly right now, I do believe on Brian Little's new contract, he's got a no movement clause that is for the first three years of the deal. And then in the back three years, he's got the possibility to be moved. So 
but I could be wrong. I, I can't say for certain. But if that's the case, it would be very hard to trade him, um, I think, with, with the extended liability of, of that contract going down. Trade him with three, th- three plus years for the, next, for the acquiring team to take on, um, particularly at his age and if he does if he is on a, on a true regre- regression path. So, you know, the ideal situation is, you know, Mark Chipman and David Thompson are flush with money somehow after not paying players for a while. And they say, you know what, we can buy out Brian Whittle at 50 cents on the dollar if they're lucky and they do it. Um, but again, you buy him out. What do you replace him with? It doesn't mean you have to replace Brian Whittle with, 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 a better Brian Little, but you got to replace him with something. And if your replacement is not as good as Brian Little, do you, should you buy him out? And I mean, this expounds into whole a whole other areas because if Brian Little's contract is the one that's preventing you from doing other things that are based on the salary cap, then maybe you do have to buy him out or get rid of him because you need that money for something else too. I mean, it becomes a spider web of possibilities. And I think uh, when we all sit around and do our armchair GMing, we really do sometimes forget some of the intricacies that happen here and, and how teams measure the assigned salary of a certain player versus risk and what it takes up compared to what they could do. And it gets a, it's a very complicated thought process sometimes, and it's easy to lose track of that. Right. Well, uh, I, for one, think there'll be a lockout. So I just like that to be on the record. Everyone who knows me knows that. <laughs> I think that's uh, likely to happen, but I think the implications of what that could mean is a very interesting one, obviously, for, for our home team, right, seeing how that affects them. But uh, kind of aside from that, um, going forward, the salaries and, and some of the players that need to get paid uh, what do you what do you see with that going forward? Like, are, I've I've read some articles where people are a little more worried than others, and then I read some where people kind of feel like, no, we're we're good, everything is going to plan out or, or pan out here fine. But do you think in the future that we gotta, if it's not Brian Little, maybe lose one of our better players just to kind of make room for continued youth? I mean, I'm thinking of Veselainen in a couple of years, and obviously Line's deal, whatever that's going to be, and the uh, Morrissey deal coming up you know, there's some, some talent that needs to get paid. And, you know, especially if there is a lockout, obviously the salary cap's not going to bump yeah. up at that time. But uh, yeah, I'm just kind of curious how you see the Jets salary going forward. Are you concerned or, or what are some of the, the big, I, big players there that's going to shape it? I, I think everyone should be concerned, but they should be concerned about are the Jets understanding, are they going to make the right decisions? And I mean, you mentioned some very critical names, what happens if Kyle Connor has another 30 goal season? Oh, yeah, of course. What's yeah. His, yeah, right. Like, I mean, yeah. it's, these are good problems to have. So I've said this for a long time. I don't think the jets got here without a plan. I don't think they, you know, the, this is what you want to have is your play, the players you draft and develop performing, how you, then how you pay them is they come due for their raises and, and natural increases that you have to plan for. And I think they have a plan. They have a, you know, I'm sure Kevin Shevel day off and, and the, and the whole management group have crazy spreadsheets on walls and they look at things and they cross things out. They pencil in numbers and they do all sorts of interesting stuff because you have to, because it's always a changing target. I think the, the, the biggest concern is are the jets going to be able to make the hard decisions and are they, do they have the right data and the right 
sort of information that are going to make the, not only allow them to make hard decisions, but make the correct decision of, of those things. And by hard, I mean letting go of players who people may like, um, like a Myers or even a, even a Blake Wheeler if the cost is too much. Blake Wheeler is going to be 33 for his next deal. Blake Wheeler could still be a top five right winger in the, in the league at age 33. So how do you value that? I mean, that's a really tough one. And then, and then if you can value it and it's agreed upon, how do you fit it in with everything else? And, you know, teams do do this, but eventually you kind of end up a little bit like, you know, like Chicago, you end up a little bit like LA, but they, you know, would, would any, would any Kings fan or Blackhawks fan trade those collective five cups for some of the problems they've had now? No, that's the, that's part of what gets you there. It's if you can avoid, if you can avoid making some of the bad decisions and and, and for the long term, that's the best case scenario. And, you know, if if you can get Blake Wheeler at a three-year deal instead of a six-year deal, which I mean, you know, I'd ask for it if I was Blake Wheeler, that those are the things that you have to manage. And, and if you can't, and if there is no agreement there, are you prepared to make the hard decision to say, we have to get something for you now? as opposed to nothing later. And those, those are the concerns I think everyone should be aware of is can they make that really hard decision? I mean, thus far, you know, if you look back, what are the hardest decisions they made? Well, they bought out a guy they really believed in who was literally married into the organization of Mark Stewart. And they sent Andre Pavlik to the, uh, to the, to the, to the miners, you know, with a 4.8 million cap hit. I mean, these the decisions now and the, and the, the ramifications of them are and the risks involved in them only get higher and it'll be interesting to see if they can make them. Yeah, and and uh, the other one I'm thinking of too is uh, moving Lad as a rental player too, right? It's sort of the decisions yeah. they had to make were in some ways no brainers. But I'm curious too, just because you mentioned uh, Chicago and I thought of Pittsburgh, who's still you know playing at a pretty pretty decent level seeing they won two cups in the last three years. But uh, it seems like maybe a bit of what has happened with teams uh, with Taves, Malkin and Crosby and uh, Kane, sorry, (laughs) wrong order, but whatever with those guys that they tend to have like these really high paid players and then a bunch of supporting cast. And it feels like the jets have such quality throughout their lineup that I don't, I'm not as familiar with the Kings lineup, but has anybody anybody been winning like Stanley Cups with kind of such a strong lineup throughout of a bunch of players that need to get paid as opposed to you know having a couple start players and then you know guys popping popping in and out a little bit more? It feels like the Jets you know, are doing something a little bit different here, and it seems like it could really work out very well or be problematic. Where again, like we talked about losing some players that we really really like uh, because some tough decisions have to be made. So. Well, and I think, you know, when you look at, I mean, let's talk about the Penguins. I mean, when you have, I mean, I, you know, Malkin's a generational talent as far as I'm concerned. And so when you have two of them and then you throw in Phil Kessel, you have one of those guys on your top three lines. I mean, that's, that's just hard to match up against. Um, the Kings, you know, you know, you know, you've got Drew Doughty on defense and, and you know, who else you had Muzzin and then you had um, Brown. Kopitar Jeff Carter, and you know, even in the first cup, uh, Brad or Mike, Mike Richards, Richards yeah. was a, was a decent player. They were just hard to match up against again, you know, with their with the depth that way. If you know, the Jets could be very similar, where you have a Shifley 
a line, a Connor, and then potentially, you know, throw in and throw in a, then an Ehlers. And, you know, you have a guy like a Blake Wheeler who doesn't seem to age and, you know, they, they could be the same way. It's just fitting everyone in to make sure you can keep them all. Pittsburgh, you know, they've rolled over players. They've, they've, they've hung on to a core and done it. You know, Chicago did the same thing, and they've had to make some really difficult cap decisions. I think the problem with Chicago is, is you know, avoiding deals like you pay Brent Seabrook and then even Taze and Kane. Like, I mean, you know, Duncan Keith's deal isn't that screaming hot anymore either, given his age. And, you know, you'd take any of those guys at one point on your team, but you certainly wouldn't take them at what their cost is now. And that's what you have to avoid. But, you know, players want to get paid. And, you know, if you've won a cup for, you know, won, won a city or a franchise three cups, I mean, maybe you do deserve to get get a big sunset deal that carries you for the rest of your life. Not that we all couldn't live on, you know, a, a quarter of what these guys make. But, um, it, you know, it, it's funny. Like, that seems to be the trend. And, and so far, I don't know if anyone's avoided it yet. You know, it'll be interesting to see about Washington and how they manage stuff. But, you know, that that's that's the other thing. It's, it, you know, they've got, you know, Washington's going to face the same issue with Holtby after next season. Are they going to pay him the market rate? Because, you know, Holtby might be worth the same amount as Flurry just signed for. It, it, it's just, it's a big chess piece and it's it's shuffling dollars around and where do you cut loose? I mean, really, it seems to me you have to have such a good pipeline of players coming up who can come into the NHL and play and not hurt you and be on cheap deals. And if you can keep that happening, you can hang on to some of these guys. If you get, if you even have them to allow yourself to um, compete each year. Yeah. Well, it's certainly going to be an interesting uh, year, how this plays out and, and the future. I mean, as Jets fans, we get to kind of keep humming and hawing about these deals, you know, into the future forever and ever. And it's, it's fun to do, but at the same time, sometimes I just want to like simulate in franchise mode and get to see what happens. Yeah. See which players you get and what trades you can make. But uh, unfortunately we don't get to do that, but fortunately we, we get to watch it, right. And we get to enjoy play out. So um, anyhow, we are at time here, Pete. I don't want to make it uh, too long. Thanks so much for taking the time for those. Uh, who don't know we had tons of technical difficulties making this happen but I'm glad it came together on such short notice that we were both available and had some quiet space to do this so thanks so much for doing this and where can people find you um my pleasure always happy to come on and talk hockey I mean that's that's the fun of it all people can find me uh my twitter handle is uh at teddy t-e-d-d-i-e-r I don't know I made it it should have been Tessier, but I didn't think Twitter was ever going to be anything. So there it stuck and uh, hockeybuzz.com. Just look under the jets logo and you'll find my writing there. All right. Well, awesome. Thanks again for doing it. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely do it again sometime. Awesome. Take care. Okay. You too. Thanks Pete. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, to jet centric. This is Chris and I'm here with Garrett Hall. Garrett is the co-founder of hockey data. Inc. correct? Correct. Indeed. And he is the general manager of the Greater Vancouver Canadian. Uh, so we're happy to we're happy to have Garrett here. Uh, Garrett is uh, a friend of ours, uh, a friend of the podcast. Um, so we're going to talk about some, well, what some people call fancy stats. I don't think we'll get too fancy, but uh, Garrett, tell us about what your company does, if you can, kind of uh, overall, so we can understand. Um, I think the simplest way to explain what my company does is uh, we track uh, events 
at non-NHL levels. Uh, so this could be the Canadian Hockey League, the um, American Hockey League, the NCAA, the USHL, and uh, we resell that data both to um, the teams themselves, to NHL teams, um, and to a couple other parties that are interested in that kind of data. Okay, and so how did you get started doing something like that, and how does how does that evolve from? I know a little bit about your backstory. How does that evolve from where you started to where you are now? Um, so I started off as just someone who liked to argue on the internet, and <laughs> so that's kind of how it all began. Um, just because you know I was passionate about uh, the scientific method and information, like not just you know. Everyone argues hockey. Everyone loves to argue hockey. And I, I don't mean that in like a mean-spirited argument. I mean like, you know, two friends who are sitting at a pub sharing some beers and watching the game and they'll discuss, you know, different players. Uh, we, we all love those type of conversations. But uh, sometimes you might, the difference between some people that uh, care about uh, data-driven analysis and those that don't is just some of those people have those type of arguments with themselves um, and so they actually looked the information up and to see whether or not uh, one of those arguments is founded um, in the data, whether there's evidence that suggests w- one answer might be more likely than the other. Uh, but to, right. Like, so, oh, sorry. Go ahead. My background. Yep. Uh, but yes. Yep. So the long story short of it is the fact that uh, eventually uh, my arguments got me into blogging, which um, I made a bit of a name for myself. Uh, mostly data-driven blo- blogging. I started off with Arctic Ice Hockey, a Jets-centric blog. Then I, then I uh, started managing uh, Jets Nations when I moved over to the Nations Network. And then from there, I uh, started my own blog called Hockey Graphs, which is um, the number one hockey stats um, blog on the internet. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, uh, it has, <laughs> I think, something like 25 current writers um and then it has a very large alumni that includes multiple people who work for nhl teams now or mainstream media so it's it's been quite fun um but yeah eventually that that made a name for myself and people uh requested my work which ended up starting a business from so let's put this to rest and what may maybe not once and for all because i don't know how many listeners we're going to end up having but do you watch games if you do, tell us how you watch a game differently maybe than somebody else does, as in why do you get the right to, to cite these fancy stats? Again, I get it, but maybe people that don't necessarily believe in, in, in tracking and this kind of stuff don't understand. Um, well, I'd say first, first I'd like to premise it with there's a difference between um, the data and my own interpretations of the data. So sure. while I may interpret the data one way, that doesn't mean necessarily that I'm correct. Now, in terms of actually, um, I, I, w- I would say that I'm pretty good at interpreting data, or at least uh, it's believed to be so because people are willing to, uh, you know, purchase that um, inferences for dollar value, which uh, makes pays off my student loans and pays off my mortgage. But uh so at least I think it's worth something there. But um, in terms of uh, how I watch the game and how that's kind of changed, even from a, like a fan side perspective, I mean, um, one of the things that really changed 
was when um, I just started doing this like tracking data kind of project was I believe 2012 or 2000. I started tracking the actual events, um, looking at the Jets uh, breakouts and looking at the Jets entries into the attacking zone. Uh, a part of a game that like we usually don't really focus on ourselves. And what that did is that did kind of adjust my perspective because what, what you do when you're doing this type of data tracking is um, there's, there's lots of things that go in the game. There's thousands and thousands of events that goes on, on in the game. And speaking for myself and what is true for most, but not all people is just the way that our memories work is you can't remember everything that's in the game. You can remember the majority of it, but what really focuses your memories and your opinions is the large, um, like we call it the big, the big events, the big mistakes, the big plays. You remember the person that made a screw up um or a give like a giveaway or something like that that ends up becoming a chance against or a goal against but you don't f- remember the multiple plays that led up to having that chance uh caused and so uh what what that what i found that tracking events for kind of does it does adjust the way that you watch the game a little bit in terms of you're watching these small different things that uh, you normally wouldn't focus on um, how, however, um, one thing you have to realize is still your, your, your memory is faulty. Um, I'm sure if anyone's into psychology, uh, they would understand the stuff of heuristics and all that, um, which is not, you know, a big area of my focus, but, uh, you'd understand that like, we're all faulty. We're all biased. We all remember only certain things. We all might, uh, remember certain things being more important than they actually were, or we might overfocus on uh stuff but there are these multiple multiple little events that happen throughout the game and it's difficult to remember all those those actions and how those lead up to becoming uh big important events in the long run that makes me think of uh and we don't we don't have to talk on it super specifically but it makes me think of eric carlson and pk suban there's a those are two guys that that handle the puck at huge rates that um they they force play they they are dominant players yet people seem to focus on a turnover or something like that and so you're saying that what you do shows the 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 full picture yeah because one way to look at it is let's say eric carlson tries a certain particular play and 10 out of the um 100 times it doesn't work and uh four out of those 10 times it ends up to being a pretty good scoring chance against that. But 90 out of 90 out of the hundred times you don't even notice it. It's just something that causes the puck to go down. Now, while meanwhile, uh, someone else might try something that's less risky, uh, but doesn't work as often, or maybe it doesn't create as much offense in the long run. So while it's, it's kind of comes to probability because we can't, we can't really remember all the things that don't happen. So we don't, while we remember the 10 mistakes that Carlson made, you don't remember the 90 mistakes that never existed because Carlson was able to actually push that play. Or you don't remember the 90 uh, mistakes that never happened because uh, the pucks in the other zone while PK or Bufflin are doing their little roaming uh, game. So because of that, so there's, there's a difference between uh, noticing certain mistakes and noticing the mistakes that actually never never occurred because 
the puck wasn't in the defensive zone in the first place. Our, our memories are not made to be able to know the second, but by tracking events, you actually can infer the second. Right, and then so you take uh, Carlson that does that 100 times, makes 10, 10 mistakes because he always has the puck, and then you take a Cody Cece who makes that mistake five times, but he only handles the puck 10, and all of a sudden it's like this is why Eric Carlson is so much better than Cody Cece as an example just off the top of our heads. And yeah, these are the – right? And these are the simple things that I think you are trying to bring to to hockey fans because you – Anything, like you were talking about at the beginning, any argument you have, you want to be able to back it up. So what's, yeah. a, sim- what's a simple, uh, quote-unquote, fancy stat that the casual fan, maybe somebody that's not into it, would want to, to learn? Something that's easily explained and easily understood. Oh, boy. Uh, something mean, like Corsi, to me, is, yeah. is very simple. It just sounds yeah. crazy because you don't know what it is. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, we weren't the greatest at uh, naming stats. Um, those of us that were in the early days of hockey statistics, <laughs> statistics, we uh, we didn't name them. Uh, like, I mean, I wonder how much pushback Corsi would have gotten if we just called it shot differentials in the first place, like or okay. shot plus minus. I mean, the the ba- the basic idea between um, like just to compare a shot plus minus versus a goal differential. Now, I'm not going to say goal plus minus because Goal plus minus is a little slightly different. Maybe we'll talk about that later. Uh, but like the difference between a shot differential and a goal differential is, um, you might get a, a player might see maybe thirty goals over um, a, a season when they're on, or sorry, like the first half of a season while they're on the ice. Um, maybe maybe more if they're on the top line. Maybe less if they're on the fourth line. But there's just about 30 events over a whole half of a season. You look at shots, um, a player might see that same amount with the same similar ice time, might see that much in two to five games. Uh, so what that does is one that really increases the sample size. And why that's important is because of the fact that um, sometimes, um, uh, s- s- sometimes, you know, things aren't their fault. Like you might be on the ice for a goal against, but it wasn't really your fault. Um, you might be on the ice for a shot against, but that's not really your fault. However, if you have a much larger sample size, that's going to wash out a lot quicker uh, just because, you know, sometimes there's good stuff that happens. That's not your fault. And sometimes there's bad stuff that happens. It's not your fault in the long run. That's going to probably wash out at least somewhat. Now, of course the negative to shot, uh, shot differentials is the fact that they don't uh, account for shot quality because you know a shot the blue line's not the same as a shot right in front of the net in the lower slot. Um, on average, that's not a huge deal because there's not a huge uh, difference in how often shots are coming from good spots versus bad spots when you're looking from one team to other to another. I mean, there is differences in the short run. And there is different, some differences team to team, but the but between uh, the the best teams and the worst teams, it's not like it's absolutely massive. It's just small and meaningful. Um, but on top of that, we actually do um, nowadays adjust uh, for shot quality. So there's this thing called expected goals, and all expected goals is is exactly what I was saying is that a shot that's close to the net uh, made by a player um, who's tends to score a lot of goals is worth more than a shot that's at the blue line. That's maybe shot by like a Chris Tanev. 
Right. So now you have two types of stats where one, you're following and uh, tracking stats, and then you have predictive stats. So you can also make an assumption based on quality of shot, Corsi or shots for shots against how things are going to play out. But I think a lot of people get skeptical um, about that you're tracking actual events. And is there anything you could talk about that? Like, I think a lot of people just think, oh, Corsi, it just means you think if you get more shots, you're going to win. What I think of now that I'm a little more invested in it is that it just means that this is what happened and the results are likely to follow. Is that is that a fair thing? I think it's a good way to look at it. I mean, the whole, the only, it's not like we looked at shot differentials and like, hey, that's cool. We're going to say that they're important because we want them to be important. The reason mm-hmm. why we got into Corsi and shot differentials is because the fact that we noticed something that um, teams that teams or players who do good in goal differentials, um, some some stay being good and some don't. The ones that don't stay being good are usually the ones that are getting outshot. And same with mm-hmm. the teams that like you know the teams and the players that are doing bad in goal differentials. The, the teams and the players that are being outscored. Some get better, some don't. The ones that get better tend to have good shot differentials. So it's a, one way to like see whether or not you know performance is uh, going to consist. I mean, like we look at the Ottawa Senators just a couple of years ago. We look at um, you know, Colorado Avalanche. It happened to them twice, not once, but twice. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, like all three of those teams in the last decade have had instances where they were doing really well. Some of them, like I remember the Colorado Avalanche. Um, I'm trying to remember whether it was the Western Conference trophy or if it was the President's trophy or something like that, but they won. All the fancy stats people were saying, this is probably not going to last the very next year. They had a collapse all the way down uh, to the lottery. Um, the worst, the we, worst season since like '96 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, we and we weren't we weren't surprised about it. I mean, it's not like it's going to be probability is not destiny. Um, hmm. It's the way that hockey works. Is we know that you know the best team doesn't always win. Like you look at basketball for a comparison, the best teams beat the worst teams probably around eighty percent, eighty five percent of the time. You look at um, hockey the best teams beat the worst teams maybe 58 60 percent of the time that means like i mean think about if i had a weighted coin and i was telling you to flip it and um you're trying to guess whether or not that coin was a perfect 50 50 or if it was 60 40 <laughs> you're, you're not gonna be able to really tell the difference that's that's a, that's a tough call uh so because of that you know um sometimes good teams sometimes good teams play poorly and it's for a reason but sometimes good teams play poorly and it's just just the way the cookie crumbled yeah i think that's interesting and i think that that could could let some people kind of understand some of the the stuff that they're not understanding that 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 it's not a science i mean it's all science but it's not it's not provable if you will the end result and all those 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 kind of things um what about uh plus minus uh I, I, I think we all have a kind of thing where once plus minus is cited, your argument is invalid. What A simple breakdown of why plus minus sucks. Um, so there's basically three problems that I have with plus minus relative to how it's used. 
And I mean, I think it comes comes down to it that if you want to really summarize things is everything that plus minus tries to do, there's a stat that does it better. Um, so coming to the major three problems that I have with plus minus, one of them we kind of touched on, and that's that shot metrics are typically better than goal metrics. Um, if you're, if you're looking at a, if you're looking at two players, one of them has a good goal differential, but bad shot differential. One of them has a good shot differential, but a, but he's, but a poor, sorry, I don't know if I said the same thing twice or if I flipped it actually, but it just one of them has good in shots, but bad goals. Right. One of them's the opposite. The guy that's going to most likely do best in the future is the one with the good shot differentials more often than not. Um, that's just, and like when you're, whenever you're looking at, I mean, there is something to say about descriptive stats to say, Hey, this guy outscored the other guy more, but why do we usually care about that? Well, usually when people say that, it's because they're saying, well, we want that guy because we want him to outscore in the future. But the truth is the person that outshoots, generally speaking, is the guy that's going to outscore in the future more hmm. often than not. And then you can add things like, you know, shot quality and other factors, look at expected goals, and you do even better. Um, so that's the, the one problem with plus minus is the fact that if plus minus has one thing and uh, Corsi says another thing, Corsi is going to be right more often than not. Uh, the other reason that I have a difficulty with plus minus is uh, plus minus arbitrarily removes some goals. So a lot of people think plus minus is just even strength, but um, it's not quite that simple because one, plus minus allows shorthanded goals for. So that means if you're on the PK, you can only get pluses, you can never get minuses. If you're on the power play, you can only get minuses. You cannot get pluses. And then um, the, other th the other thing that kind of even furthers this is the fact that um, when a goalie is pulled, the NHL still considers that as even strength because you have six skaters versus right. six, six skaters. It doesn't matter that it's five, five and a goalie versus six. It still considers that even strength. Now, when you pull a goalie, you're in desperation, so you're using all your offensive players. Now, more often than not, pulling the goalie does not work. However, right. people still do it because it sometimes works and sometimes is better than no time. And then, so usually the players that are on, um, that when you pull the goalie that are on the ice, those are the guys that um, are, your, are the same guys that generally are on your power play. So more often than not, they're going to get more minuses than pluses because the goalie's pulled. And then on top of that, they're only getting minuses <laughs> when they're on the when they're on the power play. Then the opposite is happening for your shorthanded guys. The shorthanded guys, they only get pluses. They can't get minuses on the PK. And then on top of it, uh, you look at your um, you look at when you're when the other team's pulling the goalie. Um, sometimes you're going to get goals scored against you, but, but more often than not, you're going to be the guy that scores goals. So they're going to get more pluses than minuses. And then as you know, someone might say, oh, but that's just a couple of goals over a year. The one thing you have to realize is, as I pointed out before, players are only on the ice for so many goals over a whole season, unless they're guys that are playing huge minutes. Right. That a little bit of skew is a big deal. Um, when you look at it, the difference between a guy who's near the top and the, or just like one standard deviation. So that's about, 
you know, 50% of the population, there's only a nine goal difference. So you talk about four goals, you might be pushing you about 25% of the way. Um, like one example that I tend to use of this is uh, for Winnipeg Jets fan is Mark Stewart in the 2014, 2015 season. Um, that was the first year that the Jets went to the playoffs. Mark Stewart. So the Jets dressed 13 defensemen over that season. Mark Stewart had the worst plus minus at when, if you look only at five on five, he was on minus three. He had the worst on the power play, which was plus zero because of the fact that you just barely, he didn't play in the power play. Some of the people were tied, tied with him with plus zero. Most people had more. If you look at the penalty kill, he had the, he played heavy PK minutes, uh, but he actually didn't do that well in it. So he was a minus 19 when you look at only the PK. But here's the thing. When you're on the PK, none of those minuses count. Only oh, the pluses yeah. when he's on the ice. So despite the fact that he, was, he had the worst goal differential at even strength, power play, and penalty kill, out of those 13 defenders in all three of those situations, he actually had the sixth best plus minus out of those 13 defenders. And he had a plus five rating. So minus three, a plus zero, and a minus 19 added up to a plus five. Wow. Well, that's, <laughs> that's incredible. Like, and I wish, see, this is the thing. It's kind of like, and I, we're not ever going to get political on here, but it's kind of like the Donald Trump thing where the only people that are listening are people that agree with it or the only people that are reading your post about why he sucks are the people that agree with you. It's sort of like this. It's really hard to get people on board. Yet it's so simple, it's so laid out, and I really appreciate how you do that, Garrett. I'm we we're well over what uh, we we had recommended. I just would like, uh, if you could, in a one or two minutes, just for the fun of it, a little bit of uh, why Nick Patan and Marco Dano are actually good players, and they should well, get a look. Well, one thing I will point out right away is to say that earlier you introduced me as the GM of the Greater Vancouver Canadians. Uh, Nick Patan is an alumni of the Greater Vancouver Canadians, <laughs> so there is some bias in that. Now, that said, uh, Nick Patan has dominated every level that he's played at with the exception of the uh, NHL. Generally speaking, how, that... Sorry, just to interrupt you, how often does that happen? I think that's what you're going to say, but I wanted to make sure that you say it. How often Not does very... that happen that... Right, that you don't. If you do dominate everywhere, you will in, in the NHL. Um, if you dominate everywhere, you have a better shot than someone who doesn't. Um, and one thing that I will say is the NHL is not perfect in choosing their players and choosing their players' ice time. And so sometimes you look at those players who did dominate other levels and then just like, oh, they just didn't have the game for the NHL. But then you look at their like underlying numbers. And it's like, but the team did pretty good with that player on the ice. They just didn't get a lot of ice time, or they just got ice time in like not not very good minutes. Um, what or with terrible line mates. And the funny thing is, those two players that you mentioned, Dano and Patan, are kind of examples of each. Marco Dano's done rel- he scored more points than relative to his ice time than Andrew Kopp or uh, Chris. Uh, sorry, Brandon Tanev, the other Tanev. Um, uh, or a couple other players. And the shot, other than last year, uh, which may or may not be more Adam Lowry than it is Cop or Tanev, he's had better shot differentials and better expected goal differentials than those guys. Um, now, Nick Patan. Nick Patan is a very interesting player uh, because um, everyone generally does better with better players than they do with worse players. That It makes sense. If I'm playing alongside Wayne Gretzky, I'm going to do a lot better 
than I'm playing it beside Tanner Glass. It's just the way thing way hockey is. It's a little easier. Your opportunities and your environments are make part of your results and part of how good you look. That said, the split of Nick Patan with Chris Thorburn or Matt Hendricks versus when he's away from those guys is quite dramatic, more so than what you typically see just being with a better player. Um, and one of the, the, and what that is, that's chemistry. I mean, like chemistry is not just saying, Hey, you're a better player than the other guy. So I'm playing better with you. Chemistry is the fact that you're in my play styles either work or you're in my play styles don't work. And so because of that, those results get pushed in one way versus the other way more so than expected. Um, Nick Patan definitely was one of those cases. Um, his results with not even just like Blake Wheeler, like, cause a lot of people talk, well, everyone plays good with Blake Wheeler. One Nick's Nick Patan's results with Blake Wheeler were better than what we expected. Uh, better than Wheeler typically is with um, most players on top of that. Um, Chris Thorburn was actually worse with Nick Patan than expected. Then, right. Then once you, once you add this, like, it's not just the Blake Wheeler because people are like, oh, well, then you have to have Nick Patan on the top line. Not really. One of the best lines that the Jets have had in the past three years in, term, in their bottom six was Andrew Kopp, Nick Patan, and Marco Dano. Like, they, play, they performed extremely well, that, that trio, uh, in terms of points and shot differentials relative to their ice time. Um, so it's not like that Nick Patan has to be on the top line to perform. He just needs to be with a guy that he can pass to. And that makes sense. Like, I mean, you know, you play your NHL 19. If you got a playmaker, you're not going to put him with two bruisers because, you know, that playmaker is not going to be passing the puck to a bruiser to score a goal. It's just the way that the game works. Um, so when people try to go against that, I, I, I just kind of scratch my head. Yeah, that's a huge frustration for me. Uh, I can remember back in the day as a Coyotes fan, the Coyotes bringing up da- a young Daniel Briere and putting him on the third or fourth line and then sending him back down, uh, you know, three weeks later because he's not performing. And he's playing with Bob Corkum. And it's, it's who, who could perform with Bob Corkum? Uh, and I think we saw the same thing with Mark Stewart and, and Jacob Truba. It, it's just, it's very interesting when, uh, you start putting things in those terms. I think I, well, I think we should have had a full hour and I know that I think you're super accommodating and I know you'll be on again sometime soon, but I think we'll leave it right there, Garrett. And, uh, you know how much we appreciate, uh, everything you do for us. And, uh, thanks so much for being on. No problem. It was a pleasure. Hey folks, how's it going? My name is Alan. I am the most hated Jets fan on Twitter. And on uh, Twitter, you can find me at Slip with Five Eyes or Slip. And doing my first appearance here on the uh, on the Jet Center. Well, not Jet Center. Jet Centric podcast for the boys who used to do AIH Superfans with me. So glad to be here and glad to have special guest with us. The managing editor over at Jets Nation, I've got Art Middleton on Twitter. You can find him at GameTimeArt, and Jets Nation is at NHL Jets Nation. How are you doing, Art? I am great, Alan. Thank you very much. Are you really the most hated Jets fan on Twitter? I gave myself the title two years ago when I made uh, a number of people involved with the Ezzy Awards very upset at Christmas time. 
Oh, did you? Well, but I mean, uh, you know, I think you're more of a tweener. If we had to break out a wrestling term this early, which I think we do, uh, I think you're more of a tweener. I, I don't think you're quite a heel, but you're 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 not a face. I, I'm like Jesse Ventura. I tell it like it is. Yes, you are the Jesse Ventura of Jet's Twitter. That that works. So who would you be then on Jet's Twitter? Oh, God, I'm I don't know. I'm, I'm not that important. I don't. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm probably the uh, Santino Morella of uh, uh, Twitter. Some Jet's com- Twitter, a comic relief guy. But you you also grabbed yourself an IC title at some point. Yeah, like I, at one point in time, I was actually, I, you know, there was one time where I was actually, I brought up a good point and uh, I was uh, smart and then, but other than that, I, I just, I'm pretty much comic relief, I how, think. How well you, despite being comic relief, you managed to uh, make your way into the managing editor role at uh, Jets Nation. Tell us about how uh, that happened and tell us a little bit about Jets Nation. Well, you know what? Uh, it's all Garrett Hull's fault. Uh, he was the managing editor for Jets Nation four year for four years ago, and he basically just reached out to me and he says, "Hey, you're tweeting about the games anyway. Uh, Jets Nation wants, um, you know, we want our Twitter to have a kind of a live feed. So that's kind of how I got into it. It was just a case of uh, Garrett saying, "Hey, do you want to do the Twitter?" And I said, "Absolutely." And then Garrett went and said, "Well, hey, do you want to do game recaps?" And I said, "Absolutely." And then Garrett was like, "Well, do you want to do the mailbox?" Absolutely. And after that, one thing led to another, and I started writing more. Garrett left, obviously, for uh, greener, greater pastures. Um, uh, we got another managing editor in there, and I kind of took assistant co-editing managing duties. And then last summer was really my first official summer as a uh, managing editor. So, uh, And it's been great. It's been fun. Uh, a wide variety of Jets fans, I think that's the biggest takeaway I've had from this past season was there, there's so there is to, you know, just Twitter is kind of a, a small group, but it's, it's very varied in its opinions. And, uh, I've learned you can't make everyone happy all the time, but, uh, you know, it, it I mean, there's the one unifying thing. We all, we're all Jets fans at the end of the day, we all want to see them do well. And this past season, uh, uh I think helped that as well. So, uh, what can I find if I head over to, uh, jetsnation.ca like right now in the off season, but also in general, what am I finding over there? Uh, in general, uh, during the off season, I mean, to be fair, we're not, uh, we have a fan favorite tournament, which seems to be getting a, a few people's attention, uh, if not for the lopsided matches that we're having right now. Um, but, uh, right now, uh, actually we're just working on a couple of things. We're working on uh, possible line combos going in the summer. That'll come out next week. We'll start looking at, uh, other teams, uh, in the central division and what they're doing. We're going to next uh, season, we're going to focus on, uh, not, not so much, going after the the central teams, but we're going to start covering them a little bit more. Uh, At the end of last season, I did kind of like a a daily playoff update and fans seem to readers seem to enjoy that. So we're going to, you know, every couple days we're going to take a look at the central division teams. But other than that, uh, as far as jets coverage goes, we, uh, you know, game day previews, game day uh, lineups, uh, thoughts about the game. Uh, We're trying to do a lot more video this uh, coming season where we'll actually just have highlights. Cassie uh, does an amazing job with uh, the social media and the, the video on that. So, um, and then, yeah, we're, we're looking to get another writer in and then we'll start doing some more analytical pieces. Uh, obviously Jess nation was great for that when Garrett was there. Uh, I admittedly, that's not quite my wheelhouse. It, it's something I'm interested in, but I just don't really have, I can't do it justice. I, I don't think like so many others can. So 
we have another guy that will be coming in and doing analytical stuff. And uh, uh, so we'll, and we'll try to have something for everyone. Uh, you know, uh, um, one day you might see an analytical piece. Uh, on the same day, you might see something funny that uh, Patrick Lane said on Twitter. Uh, and we should probably plug the podcast, even though it's a podcast that is not <laughs> the Jet-centric podcast. But let's let's talk about our competing podcast. What have you got going on there? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we got the Jets Nation podcast, which is uh, ran by Cody and Kyle Bueller, uh, brothers, obviously. And uh, yeah, every week they talk. Uh, it's about a half hour show. They talk about the Jets, uh, talk about whatever is going on um, in Jets land. They, they uh, sometimes talk on touch on the hockey world if there's something going on that's uh, major. And then uh, I know Kyle's big into fantasy hockey, so they'll usually end their segments with like a little bit of a fantasy hockey look and who you should pick up and who you shouldn't so yeah no it's it's a really good podcast it's very well done i think they do it over radio studio so no it's it's really good uh so it is a very quiet time in the off season and uh i know on this podcast we've talked about this already but it's always good to get um other people's takes including yours and mine uh i wanted to talk about the uh the off season thus far that for the jets particularly the signings and the non-signings and the uh the salary cap situation that we have mm-hmm. going forward because it gets very interesting. So, so far this summer, a lot of signings had to happen. So let's talk about the ones that occurred. Um, Adam Lowry signs for three years, about $2.9 million per season. What did you think? Uh, you know, I'm a, I've always been a, a big Adam Lowry fan. Uh, anyone that's seen me on Twitter knows that. A uh, little bit of bias there because he is a former Swift Grand Bronco. So, uh, but yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, it's a good deal for a, a bottom six guy and, you know, uh, hopefully he can turn into a, a, a really good third-line center there. like to see a little bit more offense from him, but uh, you couldn't argue with his defense last year. So and that, uh, that, that fills a great role for the Jets. Uh, Connor Hellebuck signs for six years, $37 million, comes out to $6.16 million a season. How about that one? I liked it. Uh, I know goalies are voodoo. Uh, but uh, you know, I was a I was a fan of that deal, and I'm actually a little bit more of a fan of the deal when uh, John Gibson signed his deal, uh, which I think was a little bit more uh, same term, but I think it was uh, like about a million, or I think it was a little bit more than that. So, uh, a standard contract and good for him. Uh, hopefully, it wasn't a one year thing. It doesn't look like it should be, but it was a good deal. Uh, Laurent Brossoit. Is that how you say it? Brossoit? Brossoit or Brossois? Yeah. Uh, Brossois uh, is uh, the backup goalie as of right now for the Jets. Signed a one-year deal at $650,000. I know nothing about him. What do you know? Uh, I know he was a very middling goalie with the Oilers, but uh, really who isn't uh, when you're with the Oilers? Um, there's potential there. I, my, I mean, I don't think anyone's expectations are very high of him. Uh, he's working out with Hellebuck this summer, uh, kind of the same training program that Hellebuck did last year. So who knows? Maybe he turns into a decent backup. Uh, I, I, I see him and I can't keep, I, I can't help but think of, um, Dubnik in Minnesota and how Dubnik, as soon as he left Edmonton, turned into this pretty <laughs> de- decent goalie. So I'm kind of hoping a little bit for the same. I think everyone else is, but, uh, you know, just as long as we can get 25 games out of him, that's all we really need. Uh, so we also had some guys who are, you know, mostly on the moose sign, but the one that I'll get, (laughs) I'll get killed if I don't mention him is Nick Patan. So he Mm -hmm. signs for one year. Just got to talk about Nick Patan. Yeah. Uh, one year, just under $900,000. Uh, I believe, 
how is it? I was reading different things about the contract. Like it was not. It was a. It was a two way, but he's not waiver exempt. Yes, it's a two way, but he's not waiver exempt. Meaning that if the Jets, you know, have him, I think if I think no matter what, I think the, if the Jets try to send him down to Manitoba, he has to clear waivers. Uh, so I, I think this is his year. Uh, I think the Jets are going to give him a solid look, and if they don't. Uh, and send him to Manitoba, then, I mean, he's pretty much as good as gone. I, I don't, you know, for that contract, I, I don't think a team, I think there would be a team out there that would take him and snap him up. So, um, yeah, but I, I, this really feels, to me, this kind of feels like uh, the same kind of contract I, I think it was Dano got last year, uh, or Cop, I can't remember, but some, one of the Jets last year got a one-year deal and did pretty well for themselves. I, I keep on thinking Dano. Dano got um, 800, 850, sorry, 850,000 he signed last year. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then he kind of proved himself and he's got another one year deal this year. So, uh, but yeah, no, I think that's kind of what the Jets do with these, some, some of these, you know, I don't want to say borderline players. I know uh, there's a lot of people that don't think Nick Patan should be borderline, but he is kind of borderline, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what it is. Uh, if Maurice doesn't, like him and his size I, I i just don't know and i don't know this this has got to be a show show me year from patan and i think he'll i think he'd come through oh so far so far guys who get signed to show me contracts have shown them like that's hellebuck to a lesser extent jacob truba which we'll talk about in a second but uh, mm-hmm. uh chevy's done this before and and ended up having to open the wallet afterwards so we'll see what happens <laughs> Yeah, see, and that's the only thing that really sucks about these things is, you know, he signs them to the one-year deal, but then he has to pay. Obviously, Hellebuck was one. Uh, he probably could have gotten Hellebuck for a little bit cheaper last year if he had uh, signed him to a four- or five-year deal. But, of course, if he sent him to a four- or five-year deal last year, we probably would have gone, what the hell? So, uh, and yeah, we'll talk about Truba in a second, but, I, you know, I, was, I think the same thing for Truba. I think right now the short-term deals are – they're fine, but they're, they're probably going to end up costing a lot more in the long run. Uh, one more signing uh, was Brandon Tanev signed for $1.15 million, a one-year contract. Yeah, that's fine. I, you know, again, uh, he's he'll have some competition. Um, you know, he you can't question the kid's motor. Uh, that kid will skate like the wind out there. Uh, his hockey decisions are a little questionable. So if, if he could just tighten that up a little bit. He's, he's slightly smarter, I think, on the ice than Brendan Lemieux, which I think is what's helping him. Brendan Lemieux, I think, actually is probably uh, would probably be a, a better pro than Tanev, but Lemieux makes dumb decisions on the decisions on the ice. So I think that's where Tanev has him a little bit beaten. Tanev had a pretty good playoffs too. So, uh, so we ended up with one other signing that was um, ended up being decided through arbitration. Of course, Jacob Truba, as we mentioned. Uh, they went to arbitration. I think the Jets went in at four million. Jacob Truba went in at seven. They were met halfway for a one-year deal, five point five million dollars for this season. I guess the good news is that he is still an RFA at the end of this year, so they have one more opportunity to negotiate here. And uh, I'm hearing all sorts of things like maybe they can renegotiate, maybe he can get long-term. He wants to stay with the Jets, but I also hear that uh, they need to trade him this year because. This is it. So where do you stand yeah. on this? Uh, I'm on the br- brink of uh, panicking with Truba. Um, you know, I it's fine. I, I keep on telling myself it's fine. The, he is the RFA next summer, so it, th- that part will be fine. Um, I, I don't know. I, I keep on going back and forth. I, I can't believe that the Jets 
wouldn't lock this guy up long term, even if it meant throwing a little bit extra money at him. But at the same time, you know, the, the Jets cap situation, what it is, they, they have to they have to manage it a little bit better. And they, they can't uh, just overpay for every good player that they want. I mean, they haven't been doing that with the forwards and the line A contracts coming up and that's going to be huge. So um, I believe they can start renegotiating come January. And I think that's, man, I, I hope they just, you know, five-year deal, get it done this coming summer and get this over and done with. I don't think they'll trade him. I, I just, I look at him and I look at Tyler Myers. And if you're asking me if that's the decisions between either keeping Truba long-term or keeping Myers for a few more years, I don't see why you would keep Myers. I, no disrespect to Tyler Myers. He's, he's a fine defenseman. But, I mean, you know, Truba is, what, 20, 25 years old now? He's, you know, he's your still your future defenseman. Uh, then a guy who has not been signed yet, Josh Morrissey. Um, I haven't actually heard a lot on this one. Where were you? I, uh... I actually heard uh, on Twitter. Well, on the Twitter, there was a few people saying, oh, I heard on NHL radio that they he signed um, or was about to sign. So I don't know. I think they'll get a deal done before camp. Uh, but I suspect it'll be a bridge deal. I think it really depends on next year. Um, I think that's what Chevy's playing for. I, I thought Chevy was playing for this year, but uh, I think Chevy's kind of trying to bide his time until next year, the Wheeler contract, the Line A contract, and then see what he can do with Morrissey and Truba. I think it'll depend on what Myers does this season. If Myers doesn't play any better than he has, I can't see him getting another 5.5 or even a, a raise over that. So uh, if Morrissey gets anything, I, I suspect it'll be a one- or two-year deal, just kind of like a – Quick little bridge deal just to get him to a long-term contract the year after. I should mention this last contract that I, I don't don't want to miss all the important ones. Joe Morrow was signed for a million dollars as well. Absolutely. Joe Morrow was uh, – well, he got our first uh, playoff goal in the, the last uh, last playoff, didn't he, or something like that? Or he was like one of the first goals. So, But, yeah, no, he uh, – and that's fine. He's, he's a good depth defenseman, and uh, he'll he'll come into camp and compete. And I didn't actually mind him uh, with the Jets when he played. He was He wasn't bad. He was, he was a little bit better than I suspected. He was, I thought he was going to be. Uh, so just uh, to summarize where the Jets stand going into this year, with Morrissey still to be signed, most other contracts are locked in at this point, and they are sitting comfortably $10 million under the cap. So there is room for one more contract. And of course, you know, Morrissey's not going to come close to filling that space. So certainly, I think a very similar position this year as to where they were last year, which is that there's room to maneuver over the course of the season if things are looking good, right? Right. And, you know, and that's what uh, that's Chevy's MO. And, uh, you know, I, I keep on thinking that, uh, you know, everyone was kind of lamenting the loss of Stastny. And I'm like, you know what? That just means that come uh, this coming February, March, you know, they can add another piece if they need to. So we've got some interesting folks who. I believe they can negotiate with now for next year and uh, no news out on any of them as of yet. I think the uh, the three key ones are uh, Blake Wheeler, who is an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. Patrick Laine, who is a restricted free agent and Kyle Connor, a restricted free agent. Both of them will be coming off of their rookie deals and probably getting a lot more expensive. Uh, do you think any of them get signed this summer or do you think we go into next year? Uh, I, no, I think they go into next year. I, I don't see any of those three getting signed, uh, at all 
you know, I know they did the Brian Little deal right around before the start of the season, whatever. I, I don't see that happening with any of these three. Um, you know, and I, if you're Kyle Connor or Line A, well, I mean, Line A, I think you're, the bar is pretty much set, you know, as terms of young snipers or whatever. So he might, but Kyle Connor, you know, you have another season. Uh, right now, the Jets could probably say, well, you had one rookie year and it was kind of at the top line. So. You might not get the dollars you want, uh, but if Kyle Connor can produce another good season, then I think he has a little bit more leverage in terms of negotiating. And Blake Wheeler, I I, I don't see – man, I hate to bring up Andrew Ladd, but I, the more I think about Wheeler, the more I think that might be an Andrew Ladd situation where you know I don't know if the Jets really pull that trigger. Uh, I, I'm – you know, he, he's, he's getting up there a little bit in terms of age, which is funny because I think he's still only like – He's not even touching 30 yet, but, you know, for the Jets, that's that's a little bit old. And if you want to give Blake Wheeler, uh, you know, five, six years, he, I, I don't think. He's actually 31, but he got a late start in his career, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't know. Uh, Blake Wheeler will be a tough call. But I, I, if they do Blake Wheeler, I don't think he will be done until summer. So going into this year then on the salary front, we've got some interesting salaries, which I guess for this year work, but things that you're going to have to deal with down the road. Uh, the three in particular, one is uh, Kulikov, who is signed for this year and next at 4.3, but it may be hurting too much to play. Like, I don't know what his deal is, uh, but I know he's had uh, major injury issues. And then the other two up front are... Brian Little, he is now in the first year of his $5.3 million contract for six more years. And Matthew Perot's got three left at $4 million per. Uh, can they afford to keep these contracts with guys like Wheeler, Truba, and the two rookies, uh, or not rookies now, but the two rookie contracts expiring? Yeah, see, I don't think they can. And uh, that'll be interesting. Uh, Kulikov favored to trade him. They would probably have to sweeten the pot for another team to take him because, uh, yeah, his injury history is just not good. And we were kind of hoping it would be better with Winnipeg, and it, it didn't. And it was still kind of – I think it was injuries was kind of related. Uh, he had a back injury, and I, that's what he had in Buffalo. So um, if you were to move Kulikov, you'd have to sweeten the deal. Uh, you know, if you move – Matthew Pro and I, I got roasted for suggesting Matthew Pro might be moved, but – of the three that you kind of listed, that he's kind of makes the most sense, and he'd be the easiest, really, for the Jets to move. Uh, Brian Little, yeah, you could move that contract, and you might get a team to take that. Uh, but a, you might have to sweeten the pot, like Kulikov, uh, just to get a team to uh, you know take on Little's contract. And on top of that, you you know it's it's not a great look to give a guy a six year deal and then trade him, you know, almost a year later, uh, which would be the case for Little. So that that you know. For a team like Winnipeg, uh, that uh, you know, the, the market's not exactly the most desirable location for a free agent. So you have to sell a player on the team, and you know the management has to say, you know, like, look, we're loyal to the players. We take care of you guys. And then for them to turn around and say, well, we signed Brian Little a six-year deal, but now we've shipped him off and shipped his family off to somewhere else in the league. And you know, some players see that and go, ah, you know, like. Yeah, I'd sign a long-term deal, but who knows where I'll be the next year kind of thing. So, you know, uh, that's a thing Chevy will have to wrestle with. That I, I will admit, I last year I kind of liked that Brian Little deal, and I don't like it as much now in hindsight. But uh, I think, it'll, you know, he, Little will get a shot at a second-line center. So hopefully he does better than he did uh, 
last year with it because he didn't do very well last year with it to start. I was in the same boat. I I didn't mind the deal last year. Now I look at it this year and it's like, oh boy, like Ooh, yeah. Um. So just quickly as we as we approach the end of our time together, uh, I'm thinking like in my opinion with the off season, uh, I think that we're part way to a very strong grade. If I'm if I'm giving it to him, and it's not just for uh, things that happened during this off season, but just uh, over the last couple of years. I think that there are seven guys that this team needs to lock in uh, over the long, long term. Uh, I think that that's uh, Shifley, Ehlers, Connor, Liney, Truba, Morrissey, Hellebuck. And you've got three of them right now locked in for six years. Uh, Ehlers is actually locked in for seven. And then mm-hmm. you would assume that Kiner or Connor and Liney are going to be, you know, they're going to be signed one way or another for a minimum three years. Likely Patrick Liney is going to be signing longer than that. I don't think yeah. they give him a short-term contract. No, I think I think Line Eight gets a long-term deal. Absolutely. So I think that you've got con- you've got control at the very least over the core of these guys. I, to me, I love a lot of the other guys on this team, but I feel like everyone else is expendable uh, at this point because they, you know, they're either role players, which aren't totally replaceable, but you can find role players or. Uh, they are stars who are on the tail end of their careers. And again, maybe not in the twilight, but certainly I think that they've uh, peaked out. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I think like you can make that argument for Bufflin. Uh, uh, trading him sounds like a crazy idea uh, or letting him go seems like a crazy idea. But, you know, yeah, now he's he's kind of on the other side of his uh, prime and, you know, he's still serviceable. But if there's a if there was a team that came calling uh, I think it comes down to – I agree with what you say there, Alan, and what you're saying is basically there's the untouchables and there's not. Uh, you know, and, you know, is Dustin Buffalin untouchable? I don't think he is. Is Shifley untouchable? Absolutely. Uh, Ehlers, Line A, those are the untouchables. Uh, the Bufflins – and like I said, I got Brosip for suggesting Pro should be traded, and I absolutely love Pro, and I think he's a great player. He's a great utility. You know, he can play – there's no other player – name other players in the league that could play on the top six – and do well, and then play on the fourth line to make Matt Hendricks look good. Yes, there, there's, that's that's not a very long list, and Matthew Pro's on that list, so he's absolutely valuable. But at the same time, you know, he's making four million, and if you have to make a little bit of room, that that's a selling feature, and you can at least get a little something for Pro in return that you probably couldn't for say uh, a Kulikov or a Myers even. So, should note that the three guys we mentioned about maybe moving or looking to move a uh, little. Uh, Perot and Kulikov all have various forms of no trade or no movement clauses. So that's mm-hmm, <laughs> which makes things even harder to deal with. And yeah, that it's kind of funny. I, I kind of wish our GM was a little bit more like Brian Burke in that. Brian Burke hates no movement clauses. Uh, Chevy seems to give them out uh, kind of willy nilly a little bit. And like a, a new movement clause to Brian Little was, oh boy, I don't know if I like. <laughs> that was the one thing I definitely didn't like right from the start. I was like, ah, oh, you're giving him a no movement clause. That's how it goes. That's how yeah. it goes. Uh, well, I think we're at the end of our time. So, uh, Art, give us all of the uh, the plugs you want to give. All right. Well, you can find us on uh, JetsNation.ca uh, Jets on our Twitter, NHL Jets Nation. Facebook, I believe, we're NHL Jets Nation. Uh, basically, search NHL Jets Nation and you'll find us. If you search Jets Nation, you'll find the, the football teams. Uh, I am at Game Time Art, and you can follow me there. Uh, you'll get a lot of baseball stuff right now because it's baseball season. But uh, beyond that, uh, happy to talk uh, hockey with anyone if they ever want to slide in, slide in my mentions. 
All right. Well, thanks for talking with us today. Thanks, Alan.